Good morning and welcome to Contact on Connect FM. I'm your host, Michael Clement. This morning, my guest will be Dr. Ginevra Gibson from Columbia International University. We're going to be having an in-depth discussion regarding mental health and mental health care. And we'll do that after we return from these messages. Contact on Connect FM is brought to you in part by Community Counseling Services for local family-based mental health. Hi folks, are you having problems with your child at home? Is their behavior a problem? Are you at your wit's end? If so, call us for more information. Community County Services, we provide family-based mental health. Call for information at 371-8066. We work to help you keep your family together in a healthy way. Community County Services, 371-8066. Welcome back to Contact on Connect FM. I'm your host, Michael Clement. Uh, we're going to have a very serious discussion about mental health and uh, all of the aspects that go into that. Uh, we're going to be dedicating several shows over the next month or so to mental health. We have done this in the past on this show, but such an important issue. And so uh, my first guest to kick off this series is Dr. Geneva Gibson. Dr. Gibson, welcome to Contact. Thank you for having me. Yes, it's wonderful to have you, ma'am. I first want to tell my listeners, because I'm always transparent about this, uh, Dr. Gibson uh, teaches at Columbia International University, smaller Christian school in Columbia, South Carolina, and that's where I also have my master's degree. Um, But I wanted my listeners to know that, that it wasn't by any accident that I chose you, Dr. Gibson. Yes, yes, we have that in common. Yes, we do. So I want to just jump right into this. This is obviously a very serious thing, but can you first tell my listeners like who you are and what your background is? Yes, yes. So as you shared, um, I went to Columbia National University, got my master's in counseling, and I got my Ph.D. from the University of the Cumberland in counselor education and supervision. I have worked for the last eight years in community mental health where I worked with a range of clients um, that have had all different backgrounds, as well as uh, different presentations of mental health issues, from depression to schizophrenia. And uh, I've also worked with individuals who are in suicidal and in crisis. I've done a lot of crisis work over my time, as well as supervised individuals who have worked with uh, clients who are uh, severe and persistently mentally ill and in crisis. So this is a work that I'm really passionate about. Um, I am additionally trained uh, in a therapy called dialectical behavioral therapy, and this is kind of the gold standard for treating individuals who are suicidal and have uh, pretty significant issues with regulating their emotions that often lead to suicide and uh, suicidal thoughts. And so um, I've also trained others in crisis uh, and treating suicide. So this is really an area that I uh, engage in a lot and and am passionate about helping others to uh, engage this world and help individuals really to stay alive and to have a life worth living. Yes, absolutely. And, And this is a serious situation in our nation, right? It seems to be something of an epidemic. Yes, yes. And I mean, the numbers were, have been bad, but since the pandemic, they have gotten worse. And this is really a scary thing because not only uh, are we seeing the, the numbers uh, moving up 
across ages and demographics, but especially with our youth, which is, is just so scary because so much life is ahead of you. And to cut your life short, it, it's devastating at any, at any point for any individual, but it's just so scary what we're seeing these days. Yeah, absolutely. And so we want to try to go deeper with you and try to understand. And I know it's hard to understand, but maybe you can give us some insight. When people do this, when they take their own life, we we try to understand it, don't we? I mean, we really try to understand, like, well, why would that happen? Um, can you talk about that and why people do choose to end their life? Yeah, so... Um, I'll- Often individuals who are suicidal are in an an unbearable amount of pain, and it could be emotional pain, it could be physical pain, or both, Uh, but they are experiencing a pain that is so intense for them that they feel that that pain, um, there's no way to get rid of it other than to potentially end their life. And there can be a lot of factors that contribute to that. There could be a lot of life circumstances involved that, that can, you know, really range across the board. Uh, but what it comes down to is that leads to this, um, this pain that, in their minds, they're problem-solving. They're thinking, I need, I need this pain to stop. I, I need to figure out a solution. And for them, maybe, you know, they cannot see that if I hang in there another year, if I stick with this uh, long-term, I will come out of this pain. They, they feel that the pain will never end. And so they, in trying to find a way out of the pain, they come to the conclusion that it would be better to end their lives, therefore ending the pain, versus staying alive and continuing to uh, uh, endure it. And so in their minds, this is an unsolvable, unbearable problem. And so in those moments, they feel like their life is not worth living anymore. And for some of us, and I'm sure, I don't want to oversimplify this, but it sounds like outsiders look at somebody who's hurting and they're like, of course you can get through it, right? I mean, yeah. but in their minds, they cannot or whatever is affecting them. There's just no way out. Yes, it's like looking at life with uh, dark colored lenses, if you will, you know, whereas individuals who don't have that, they can see down the road, they can find hope. But these individuals, they have kind of lost that hope, and they can't see beyond the issue. And so when this happens, and tragically it happens all over the country, it happens in small towns, big towns, all over the place. If you have somebody that's close to you that this has happened to, it it seems that people will want to say, well, I missed it. I Mm -hmm. could have helped my friend more, or I could have done something more. What does Dr. Gibson say to those people and how to handle that uh, that grief, which I think is what it really is? Yeah, I think it's very normal and understandable that individuals who lose someone to suicide begin to look back over the events before the, the death, uh, maybe in the year before, the months before, the days before, and try to pick apart different moments and events to figure out what did I miss or what could I have done differently. I think that's completely normal because this is something that's devastating that we, we don't want to have happened, that we want to try to turn back the clock and figure out as if it could be prevented. That's something we all do. And we carry this guilt because it's something that 
um, in, a, in a lot of ways, we, we say this should not have ever happened, right? Mm. Um, and so we carry this guilt and this, if I could just go back and I could figure out what I did wrong, in some way it, may, it, it, it would fix it. Um, and we know it won't, but our minds can't help but do that, um, especially because of guilt or, or um, frustrations we might be carrying towards ourselves. But that is an incredible burden to carry. And, and while there are potential signs that we could pick up on when someone is suicidal, there are some individuals who, not necessarily trying to deceive those around them, but because they may not want to be a burden and they feel like they are a burden to the individuals around them, they keep their feelings to themselves. Mm. They, they, they get good at hiding that pain. And again, I don't think it's to deceive someone but it really is because they feel like no one else deserves to carry this pain that I'm carrying, and I don't want to be a burden. And so in those situations, it is so easy to miss or not see and not know what is going on. And, and so we as humans, we are just horrible at predicting behavior. Right. There is no way <laughs> that we can see the future, and we can't read minds, right? And so if someone does not let us know what's going on, and they're not showing signs or, or anything that is um, alarming, you know, we naturally, our, our alarm system is not going to go up to say, oh my gosh, something is wrong here. Um, and, and many of us, we do find ways to, to make it through tough times. And so when, when it's hard to know when a person has gotten to that point without having to be a mind reader or be able to see the future. And so it's such a burden to carry that guilt um, and, and to feel as if we can or we should have been able to read someone's mind or interpret or see the future. And uh, while it would be wonderful if we could, um, it's, it's just not possible. And so to carry that, that burden, um, we can look back and say, oh, I, there was this thing. But in the moment... When you were there in that moment, there was no way to know, you know, fully. And so um, they say hindsight of twenty twenty, right? But in the moment, we don't we don't have all the knowledge that we have after the fact. And right. so to carry that burden and put that weight on us, it, that that that's just carrying that pain forward. And it seems to me, uh, Dr. Gibson, like like you said, even you're not a mind reader. Certainly, you're trained yeah. to be able to have conversations and read maybe people and to what's happening with them or what you perceive to be happening to them in that moment. But unless Michael Clement like tells Dr. Gibson, this is what's going on in my life and this is how I'm feeling, you really can't know, right? I mean, you really can't know. Correct. You can make some judgments about maybe something's wrong with Michael, but until I really want you to know and tell you, I think it's really hard, and so I think you make a great point that we're not mind readers. We're not able to uh, know what's deep, truly deeply going on within people, and we should be very careful not to carry that guilt. Yeah. So let me ask you this. You mentioned it briefly uh, some signs. Can you tell us, uh, tell my listeners some signs to maybe potentially look for if somebody is suicidal or having a, just a really super rough time? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so there are some more obvious signs, and this would be 
not something that everyone does, but there are some who will say something. They will say things about wanting to die or saying maybe it's better off if I was never born or I, I you know, if I wasn't here anymore, everyone would be better off. Um, sometimes individuals do make those type of statements, sometimes they don't, but that would certainly be a warning sign. Um, another warning sign would be if someone is looking online, you catch like their, their Google search, you may sure. say, um, you know, uh, something about suicide, or you notice that they maybe... They don't normally do this, but they're they're looking for a weapon or they're considering buying a gun, whereas they've never had a gun before, and that's never been something that they wanted. And it's unusual behaviors, such as that looking for weapons, or they might be hoarding pills. Uh, and so these things, again, not always something that's present, but it could be something that is a sign. Uh, others may talk about, they may not say, I want to die, but they might talk about feeling hopeless or, or saying, what's the point? Hmm. Uh, statements like that that show that they're, they're beginning to, the, the, um, that future hope of things getting better is starting to kind of be removed. Um, they may say, kind of like I talked about before, that they're a burden to others or they, they don't want to be a burden to others and be really feeling down about having others carry their struggles. Um, they, there may be some increase in substance use. Maybe they're drinking more alcohol or, or using other substances in order to relieve the pain. And that can be especially dangerous because when we're under the influence of substances, we become more impulsive. And so where if we're, we're sober, we may have a, a little bit more of a, uh, ability to stop ourselves and not act impulsively, alcohol or uh, drugs takes that away. Um, you may see an increase in uh, anxiety or being agitated or just a person seeming restless, never kind of settled around you um, or others. There might be an increase in sleeping or they might be at a place where they're not able to sleep at all. Um, and again, see, this, this can by itself... It can be hard to miss uh, or, or not see the things like this because some of these things also are signs of depression uh, or, or things that go with anxiety. Um, and there's just a couple more. Um, if the person is withdrawing or isolating themselves, um, you know, not they, maybe they normally are um, attending events or spending time with family and you notice that they are pulling back from that or when they are in groups, they're quieter than they normally are. Right. Uh, some, yeah, some um, talk or have a lot of anger, or we'll talk about revenge in the sense that you'll be sorry when, um, or or they kind of things like that. Um, there can also be mood swings, um, but again, mental someone having a history of mental illness or a history of suicide are also at higher risk um, for suicide. So those are just some some things to look for. Yeah, no, we appreciate the insight there. And obviously, like you said, if you have some of those issues, that doesn't mean uh, that you are suicidal or are even depressed. It may just be you may be having a tough time sleeping, right? I mean, there are a lot of things yeah. that could be going on, but yeah. these are really good um, insights to, um, you know, possible things that we could be looking for. I, you opened up with a 
statement about children. I should note here in Dubois, PA, and I know you've not been here, um, you'd be pleased to know that our local school district has what is called a Hope Squad, which is a peer-to-peer group and program that they have to have students uh, overlook one another. And they can say, oh, Michael is having a bad day, and they can report that to a teacher or a counselor or someone. Oh, and, that is awesome to hear. Yeah, no, and I think it's a really great program. I actually have had them on my show to talk about that and uh, because, unfortunately, there have been some younger people who have taken their lives, even just in our community. And so um, we want to be able to do something about that. I know we can't mm-hmm. stop them all. I'm not naive to that, but... Maybe you can share your thoughts with us. I know you teach at Columbia International University, a Christian school. Mm-hmm. Can you reflect on how important faith is to be able to, one, uh, maybe get through uh, the issues that you're facing, but also for the people who are surviving a tragic incident to someone that they've loved? Yeah. Um, so for those out there who uh, are, are struggling with uh, thoughts about wanting to die or suicide. Uh, I have worked with many who have been in situations who, that seems insurmountable. And what I always tell them is that I'm here with you. We are going to figure out a way through this. You just need to stay alive long enough for us to figure it out. And so for those who are struggling, don't struggle alone. Mm. Get help. Reach out to those around you. Get a counselor someone who can walk with you through this and can help you find other solutions to get out of the pain that you're in. I have, I can't tell you how many times I have told clients, hang in there long enough, and sure enough, we find a way out of the pain. Even when it was medical and I had no control over that aspect, or they were in extreme pain or, or going through things that I didn't know what the solution was, we figured it out together and we didn't give up. And so there is another side. There is um, a a solution out there that is not dying um, and leaving this world, um, but staying alive and finding that solution. So it's so important. And for those who are family members um, who may have a loved one who's struggling with this, um, or maybe you've had someone that you've lost, um, the same thing applies. Suicide... um, it's something tricky. You may not know what to say. You may not know what to do. Uh, but your presence, your caring and loving for that person, uh, and, and being there with them and maybe saying, hey, I don't know what to do, but let's figure this out together. Let's find a way to get you help together is going to be so important. And when you've lost someone to suicide, uh, don't isolate yourself. Don't close yourself off. Uh, because I, I've had individuals who have shared with me that they've lost a loved one, and they say, that the pain doesn't go away, that the person may not be here anymore, but it's as if the pain that they carried was transferred to their loved ones. And so many, um, that we know that the risk factor goes up for individuals who know someone who has, lo- has died by suicide, mm-hmm. and so that pain can transfer. And so don't isolate yourself. Get help. Reach out to your community, and, and, and don't walk this thing alone. No, I think that's uh, wonderful advice. And 
Can you also, uh, we only have just a few minute, moments left, but uh, any resources you would like to share with our listeners that they can look into that you find extremely helpful? Yes, yes. So if there might be many people saying, I don't know where to start. Who, where do I reach out for help? Right. <laughs> well, if, if you're in a crisis, um, whether it be a me- mental health crisis uh, or you're feeling suicidal, uh, there is a national uh, cri- mental health crisis and suicide hotline, um, and the number is 988. So we have our 911, right? But now we have our 988 um, number that you can call or text to get 24-7 help and someone to speak with you and talk with you that's going to be there for you in that crisis moment. Um, also, I mean, there are local counselors uh, that you can reach out to, but there are also, if you can't find a counselor that's local in your area, uh, there are also counselors who do telehealth counseling, uh, and so there are many platforms for seeking telehealth care, uh, so if you don't have it immediately in your community, you can reach out, but I'm, I'm sure you guys have uh, wonderful local counselors there we do. Um, that are willing to support. That's awesome. Willing to support um, the community and walk people through tough times. Uh, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, um, their website is AFSP.org, has some wonderful resources there, but one of the things I just want to highlight is they have a support group for individuals who have lost loved ones to suicide, and it's called Healing Conversations Support Group. And so if you go to their website, again, that's AFSP.org. You can find those resources there. They'll connect you with a uh, uh, or give you information on the local support groups uh, or how you can connect with those. And there's also a ton of information on suicide, suicide prevention there. Uh, And the last resource that I wanted to share, because I'm sure there are community members going, like, what can I do? Uh, How can I help? Or how do I even start in order to know how to help. And so there is this amazing training called Applied Suicide Intervention Skills Training. Uh, We call it ASSIST um, for short. It's a two-day training that anyone who is 16 years or older can take. You do not have to be a mental health professional. You can be just a, a community member who is concerned and want to help. You could be a community leader who is concerned and want wants to help. And this training is an amazing training. I have taken this training, and it uh, basically walks you through how to even have, how to, what is, are the warning signs for someone who's suicidal? And if I'm suspecting this, how do I ask the questions, and how do I have a conversation about it in order to know how to get this person help? Um, it doesn't mean that you're the one who does all of the helping. It just equips you to know how to uh, see and address getting someone help who is suicidal. And um, the uh, group that offers this training, um, they're called Living Works, and their website is livingworks.net. And if you go on that website, you can find local trainings and and be able to get plugged in and and get this knowledge to help others. Again, that's livingworks.net. Livingworks.net. And uh, we appreciate that, Dr. Gibson. We probably have about a minute, minute and a half left. Uh, Let me ask you this. uh, Small communities, we know everybody in our small towns. When something like this tragic happens, what's your best advice for a community to come together and, if you can, like 
how to bring us together and to help those who were affected by the uh, tragic incident. Yes, well, I think there is so much power in small communities, uh, just the, the relationships. I believe that re- relationships, the more and more I work with people, uh, I see this always ringing true, that strong and deep relationships can be the key to fighting against mental illness. It, can, it also impacts and improves our, our uh, health, our physical health. And so um, continuing to keep those close-knit relationships uh, celebrating the ones we've lost, their lives is so important. Um, and, and being able to find ways of, of taking action is great. But I, I think one, one thought that I have is that when we lose someone, no matter how we lose them, we all, people often don't know what to say or do. There's a fear that I might say the wrong thing. Or, or, and, and when there is a loss um, due to suicide, I think that not knowing what to say increases. Right. And I just want to encourage everyone, you know, it, it makes sense, right? There's nothing we could say to make it better or bring that person back. And so, we, we, yeah, we just don't know what to say. And I want to encourage everyone um, that it's not always your words, it's your presence, that it can make the difference for someone. That's including someone who's struggling with mental illness and pain, but also those who have lost a loved one that you want to support. Your presence, sometimes saying nothing at all, Giving a hug, uh, just being there can make all the difference. So don't put pressure on yourselves to always have the right words. Knowing that you are there can be the biggest thing that someone needs when they're going through something like that. No, I think that's wonderful advice. Be present. Dr. Geneva Gibson, we really appreciate your time, and we thank you uh, for making time for contact on Connect FM and such an important issue facing our nation. All right. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Each day in Pennsylvania, there's at least 15,000 children taken from their homes due to abuse or neglect. Foster parents provide homes to these needy children. Lifespan Family Services trains, supports, and compensates foster parents to address this problem. Call Lifespan Family Services today at 375-1314 or drop in at the Dubois Mall or at Lane Avenue in Punxsutawney. Lifespan Family Services, helping people help children every day. 375-1314.